Last week, I went through, if I was going to tell you, if you weren't here, you might want to go back and look at last week's message, where I went through the first uh, eight chapters of Romans, and it was a shotgun blast of information, but, but kind of give you an overview. And uh, the title of the message today is, 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 Has God's Word Failed? Has God's Word Failed? Which is interesting uh, that that would be, that would be the question. And, and here's the background of the question. We have this scripture right here where Paul in Romans 1, 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of this good news. The good news is the gospel about Jesus Christ, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you can be saved, you will be saved, that that is the good news. And so Paul is, is shouting that out at the beginning of the book. He says, It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. He's writing to the church of Rome that's made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers and trying to figure out how they can coexist in their faith and, and trying to, uh, to, to make some clarity of what it means to be a follower of God. But whenever you talk about Israel, whenever you talk about Israel, this doesn't happen all the time, but it happens to me sometimes, is that people will say, they'll ask these questions. They'll ask these questions. they say, what is God going to do with the Jews? Have anybody ever thought about that? We thought about like, because they were, you read the Old Testament, they were the people. They were the people of the Old Testament, the Jewish people. God said, I chose you. You're going to be my people. What is God going to do with the Jewish people? Second question, who are the children of God? Because we just took the Lord's Supper where it talks about there's this new covenant, the new covenant, and that we are, we are the people of God. We are the children of God. Who are the real children of God? Then the third one, does this good news negate God's promise to the people of Israel? Does this good news? Because we just talked about there's a, there's a new covenant. And so I'll give you a little bit of background. God has always been a covenantal God. He's always been a covenantal God. He's always made covenants. Now, covenants are binding promises, binding promises that God cannot go back on his word. He's 100% faithful. He's always truthful. And when he makes a promise, he cannot by nature go back on it. And so he's made these promises. You, I'll just give you a couple. He made a promise to Abraham that you will be the father of many nations. He said, you're going to have a son. And Abraham was old in his age. And God said, you're going to, have, you're going to be the father of many nations. He made this uh, covenant with Moses in Deuteronomy that you're going to lead the people. And there was this, this covenant of laws, that there are going to be these laws. And, and if you do what the law says, you'll be blessed. If you don't do what the law says, you will be cursed. He made this covenant with David that you're going to, you're going to be king, that then your, your reign's going to last forever. And we see that Jesus came out of the Davidic line. And, and God made other covenants too, like that whenever we see a rainbow, it's the covenant he made with Noah, that he would not destroy the earth by flood again. And so he's always making covenants, and his covenants can never be broken. Now, this is interesting for me to say, and I want you to catch this, that, that you and I make promises, but we are not like God. Now, we make promises, and we may have every effort to keep them. Every effort may be to keep them, but you and I are not able to 100% keep our promises. Everybody with me on this? Now, here's the thing about me. I like to think that I'm a man of my word. It's important to me. A person's word is important. And so if you ask me to do something, if I say yes, I'm going to be there. I'm just telling you, I'm going to be there. Consistently, I'm going to be there. And if you ask me to do something and I say no, I'm not going to be there. And if you ask me something and I say, let me ask Leslie, that means I'm not coming. I just don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> I'm not coming. Let me ask Leslie. God's not like me. He doesn't need to ask anybody. Everybody with me on this? He doesn't need to ask anybody. And he makes these promises. And so God has made these promises to Israel. And then when Jesus came, Jesus said, hey, you place your faith in me and you'll be saved. That's, that's the good news. And then what I love about Romans right here, and here's where we're going to dive in, that Paul anticipates pushback. 
He anticipates pushback. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but there are times where I'm preaching that I anticipate pushback. If I talk about giving, I I anticipate that people are going to push back because they're going to say, all the church wants my money. And so there's going to be pushback. Or if we talk about you getting more involved, oh, they just want something from me. Pushback, pushback. Paul anticipates pushback, and here's the scripture. He says, well then, he's told us all everything good. He says, well then, has God failed to to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. He says, no. So you're going to hear some clarity here. No. For not all who were born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Now, it's interesting here. I'm going to come back to it in a second. He says, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. I want to stop right there. Now, what he's saying is that just because you're born into the family doesn't make you a child of God. Now, this is a clear distinction. But if you read John 8, Jesus makes the same distinction. He says, hey, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he says, you're all descendants uh, of Abraham. And then they says, we have no father in Abraham. Jesus says, you you place your faith in me, you'll be set free. They said, we have no father in Abraham. And Jesus says, hey, if you were really children of Abraham... You wouldn't be trying to kill me. Jesus makes it a, a, a clear distinction. Yes, you're descendants of Abraham, but you are not children of Abraham. This is what Paul is saying, the same thing. He says, uh, for the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children. He said, Abraham had other children. One of his children was Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's son, but he is certainly not a child of God like this. But he is not a child of, of what is called the child of the promise. He says, this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God, meaning that just because a person is uh, ethnically Jewish doesn't mean that they're a child of God. And I'll give you an example, and every example breaks down. I'll just give you an example. Just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me on this? That's that's kind of what he's saying. Just because you grew up and it was part of your heritage, part of your culture, doesn't mean that you are. Just because your parents were and your grandmother was doesn't mean that you are. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. And that's the point he's making right there. And so we see in this first part here that not everyone born in Israel, born a Jew, are God's people. And he's making that point because he's trying to make this point that God's promise hasn't failed, that that, that it's different than what we think it is. So the second thing is this, and this is the part that I'm going to spend some time with because this is the part that's controversial. God's promise, God's choice. Now, I'm going to make some of you mad today, which is always great for a preacher. With the pro-life, pro-choice issue, one of the statements is, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. And the pro-lifers who were screaming against this, when COVID came around, it was time to get vaccine, what did they say? My body, that's the part you're getting mad at, anyway. And whenever there's a choice, we have a bunch of thoughts in our minds. God makes this promise that people can be saved through Jesus Christ. And then we see in the scripture that God makes choices. God actually chooses. He chooses. And just as we would say, hey, my body, my choice, whether you agree with it or not, you can kind of agree, you can kind of get along with the logic behind it. That, hey, it's my body, I do, I do what I want. And here's the difference between God. God is always right. He's always fair. He's never unjust. He's always trustworthy. 
But I want you to see in the scriptures that God makes choices. He does. He makes choices. This is the part that's controversial because we don't know where God's choice stops and where our free will starts. There's questions about whether we even have free will or if God has, has preordained everything. And, and I, sometimes I get bogged down in this because people get so upset about it. And, and, but we're going to walk through it. But I want to share this with you before I do. God, I'm, I'm saying, okay. Jesus never asked us to figure out the whole part about choice and free will. He never said anything. You know what Jesus said? You follow me. So I want to throw that out there because some people want to debate stuff and get all upset. And I don't, I'm not one of those people, but I do want to communicate God's word to you. So here's the first part is that God makes choices. It says before they were born, before they had done anything good, uh, Paul's writing about Jacob and Esau, good or bad. He says, she received a message from God. She received a message from God that the younger Jacob would be the child of promise, which is totally backwards in the scripture in the Old Testament. The older got everything, the younger got less. But, G, uh, uh, but, but Paul writes that uh, Jacob was going to be the child of the promise, that it was God's choice before they, they were even born. He says, this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. Now, this if you're like me, this may frustrate you. This may frustrate you to, to think that God would make choices in our lives, that God would choose, that God would impose his will in our life. Now, let's just stop, and we got some guests here. Does that bother anybody? Well, it bothers me sometimes. I've get got to get over it. But the truth is that we like for God to do that in a lot of ways. That's why we pray. We pray, God, heal this person. Impose your will here. Make a choice here. God, save this person. God, if, if you knew you were going to get in a car wreck, you would be, you'd be thinking, man, I wish God would slow me down. May I hit all the red lights so I don't run into that if you knew that was approaching. So we want this, but sometimes when we see that God chooses, we have this question that how can we know that God is fair? Which Paul addresses this question he says, are we saying then that God was unfair? Because it seems unfair that he would choose one or the other. And if you've got kids, your kids will say this to you. They will. It's not fair. It's not fair. And so we think of God as being unfair. He says, of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose, saying it's his choice. It's his choice. Where our mind goes into trouble is because we look at God as us, that we think of God making choices like we do. And we know that we're not always right. We don't always make the right choice. We're not always 100% fair. Our choices are not always 100% trustworthy. They're not. As good as we think we are, they're just simply not. Now I'm going to tell you a story of bad parenting. All right? Before we do, can we get the air on? I feel like it's hot in here. Maybe it's just me. Years ago, when my kids were little, now when you have kids, you can impose your will upon them. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes you need to. I'm going to impose my will upon you. And it's going to be awful for you. But sometimes, even well-meaning, we, we, well-meaning we impose our will, and it's not always right. I bought my girls a pair of pants. Not the same pair, the same, same style jeans. Both my girls, Marissa and Meredith, when they were in elementary school. Well, anyway, when I tell you this, you're going to think so bad of me. It's okay. I'm just proving your point that I'm not like God. You already knew that. They ended up being boys' pants. They did. 
And guess what I told them? You'll wear them anyway. They wore them to school and everybody made fun of them. I imposed my will, made them do something, and then later regretted it and felt like, man, have you ever done that? Here's what I want to tell you. God never does that. So when we see God choosing, we always think, well, how do we know? What if how do, he made it? No, no, he doesn't make mistakes. He, he's always 100% right. He's always trustworthy. He's always just. He's always righteous. He cannot help but do otherwise because of his nature. And so in our finite minds, we have trouble wrapping our brain around an infinite God who sees time, not in a moment, but all at once. So we have, our, we have a problem of God making choices. And so we see this third thing that, that Paul talks about, and he says that when we think that God's unfair, that we, and, and it's a harsh kind of statement, but he says, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Now, I want to stop right here. I think we can ask God questions. Some people say you should never question God. I think that we, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can ask him questions. God, I don't understand this. Why is this going on? Where are you in this moment? I think those are great questions. And I think he's big enough to handle questions like that. But Paul is saying that we're not to argue with God. We're not smarter than God. We're not, we're not telling you're unfair. That's not fair. It's like, you're not smart enough to do that. You are a finite creature. And he gives an example. Should the thing that was created say the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of, out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? And he's saying, hey, he's the creator. You and I are not. And I want to stop right here. Our flesh fights against that. Because I want to be God. I want to think that, uh-uh-uh, you didn't make me, I'm self-made. No, no, no. He said, no, he's the potter, you're the clay. That's all he's saying. And he gets to choose what he does and impose his will at times in your life and in my life. And then he goes on to say, in the same way, even though God has a right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter for those whom he has shown mercy, who are prepared in advance for glory. So here's the question. Where does God's choosing start and end, and where does our response to that choice start and end? And I'm going to give you the answer. I don't know. I'm serious. I don't know. And I want to, I want to talk about this for a second. There are churches that believe... There are, there are people of faith all over the map on this. Some believe that you have no choice, that it's all predetermined. That God has made a choice, you have no choice. Some believe that God has relinquished all his choice, and you have free will to do whatever you want, and he's going to sort it out at the end because he knows what you're going to choose. And then some believe that there are some things that God chooses, and there's some things he allows us to respond to. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some examples in Scripture. Right? I just think this is, this is uh, really important to say that, and look, people get bent out of shape and, and call people heretics and everything like that, and look, I, that's not what we're about here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to 
you take Stephanie and Cam and I, we're all probably in different places on where God's choice starts and ends and where our response starts and ends. We're probably in different places. But it's okay. It's okay. Because Jesus didn't ask us to figure all that out. You know, Jesus said, you follow me. You surrender to me. That's what Jesus said. You want to follow Jesus Christ? That's what you do. You don't have to figure out everything. All right. Here's an example. I'll give you a few examples. How much time we got? We got to, we got to, I got to hustle. All right. Sorry, y'all. If you're a guest today, I'm sorry. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this, he persecuted Christians. And then in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up and says, and he was called Saul then, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And then Jesus gives Paul this imposed will of your life. This is what your life is going to look like. You were persecuting me. Now listen to this. Look at, look at the extreme of this. You're now going to be my messenger. You're not, not, not only not just not going to stop persecuting, you're going to start being my marketing director. You're going to go around telling people. You're going to be the number one guy. When they think about Christianity, they're going to think about Paul. And Jesus says, he says, I am imposing my will upon your life. And man, it's not a really even a strong appeal like you would think, oh, that'd be great. He says, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for me. That's what Jesus says to him. And so then Jesus leaves. Paul's laying in a fetal position, and they get him up, and they drag him out because he's blind, and he's laying there. Now, could Paul resist that and say, I'm not going to do that? We don't know. Or is it just totally pre that Paul was going to have to do that no matter what? It says later on in Acts chapter 9 that Ananias went to Paul and he said, hey, the Lord sent me and that, you know, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to be God's spokesman. You're going to be the spokesman. You're going to be the number one marketer of Christianity to the Jews and to the Gentiles and churches 2,000 years from now will meet and talk about you just like we're doing today. That's not exactly what he said, but it's kind of like that. And Paul said, okay. Scales from his eyes. He wasn't blind anymore. And he goes out and he preaches to everybody about Jesus Christ. Now, here's my question. Could Paul not do that? Or did God totally impose his will that Paul had no choice? Or did Paul have a choice? Could Paul say, no, I'd rather lay here and be blind the rest of my life. I'm not, I hate you. I, I want to throw everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ in jail. And I'll spend the rest of my life, even if I'm blind, I'll do that. We do not know. It's interesting. So my point on all this is that God chooses. God chooses. He makes choices that he is the potter. We are the clay. He has a will. Sometimes he imposes his will upon us. As a matter of fact, Jesus' prayer said, your will, may your will be done, that, G that God has a will. And here's what God's will is for us, that his will is a patient calling to those of us who don't believe. His will is that all will be saved. His will is always fair. It's always just. It's always right. It's always timeless. And you and I have to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to trust Him. Even when we don't like it, even when we don't understand it, that if we read it, we, we can wrestle with it. But the, at the end of the day, I've got to learn that I'm going to trust God. Which leads me to the next one. That God's righteous people have always been a people of faith. That if you wonder about what's going to happen to the Jews, if you wonder about the Muslims, and if you wonder about even good people who continually reject Jesus Christ, that unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. 
You cannot. And, and, and that, that is very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It won't be by your goodness. It won't be by your good. You, we think that, hey, if my good deeds outweigh my bad, I'm in good shape. No, nope, it doesn't work like that. It only works that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to read you the scripture. If you want to know what God's will is, if you wonder if you have been saved, if you wonder if you are a child of God, you can make that right today. You can walk out of here knowing that 100% by this scripture right here. So here we go. In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. Talking about this message of Jesus Christ, the fact that you can be saved. It is on your lips and in your heart. And the message, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Here it is. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter if you walked in here and you were drunk last night, if you want Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And for eternity, your life can change. It can be the greatest day of your life today. And he goes on to say, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by opening and declaring your faith that you have been saved. So my question today is this. Is there anybody that needs to call on the name of the Lord? Anybody here need to call on the name of the Lord? Is there anybody that needs to surrender their life to Him? To say to Him, I am following you. I am placing my faith in you to save me. And so what I want to do right here is I want to, want to pray for you. I've written out a prayer and I just ask you to bow your head. And if you need to pray that prayer today, that you would just say these words with me. Jesus, I am calling out to you today. I'm declaring that you are the Lord of my life. And I am following you. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the dead to give me life. And as your hands, heads are down, if anybody here today that you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? Anybody pray that prayer today? Anybody? All right. If you prayed that prayer today, then you have been saved. That God is working in your life. That you have placed your faith in Jesus and you are on the journey of your life. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you prayed that prayer today, I would love for you to write it on your Connect card because I'd love to send you this resource called Welcome to the Family that talks about how to follow Jesus Christ. It talks about how to believe a follower, how to, how to, how to place your faith in Him, how to work your life after making this commitment to Him. So if you write that on your Connect card, do you place that, uh, that you place your faith in Him, there's a spot on your Connect card, we will send you this. Which leads me to the last. And now you're going, when are you, you going to get this going to be over? Here we go. Last part. Just want to catch this. Here's God's plan for Israel in the redemptive history. That God chose Israel. You read the scriptures, it's very clear. That Israel rejected God. The whole Old Testament is this back and forth. They follow, reject, follow, reject, follow, kind of like us in a lot of ways. They were just in a different covenant. God rejected unbelieving Jews and is bringing the Gentiles in, the Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ, which is why we're here, because the gospel message has come to us. The Jews will come, become jealous of the Gentiles and will also 
turn to faith in Christ. This is what Paul states here, that this is what's going on, that we, the Gentiles, are the, the ringing the bell for everybody to place their faith in Jesus Christ. All Israel, believing Jews and Gentiles, will be saved. That's the message of Romans. That's the message in our lives. And so what do you do with a message like this? Well, this is what Paul wrote in the Scripture here to close out this whole section. He says, Oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? And who knows enough to give Him advice? And who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory for him to Him forever and ever. That Paul comes to close this and he says, Hey man, that God's working a plan. And I'm excited about it. And you know what? His magnificent plan is beyond anything we can understand. That we're not smart enough. That we're, we're not God's advisor. We'll never be. Or, or, or we don't have anything to give to God that He has to pay us. But He doesn't owe us. That we just simply trust Him and follow Him. So I'm going to give you a word here for the week. Bow. Why don't you bow down to Him today? And view that God has a plan in your life and He's working on Why don't you bow down to Him? Surrender your life to Him of this incredible God who's been working a plan for eternity. And even now that you're here today to hear this message, bow down before Him. And then the second thing is, I want us to pray. I want to pray this prayer right here. I want to pray for Jews to turn to Jesus. I want to pray for Muslims to call out to Jesus. There are, there's incredible stories about Muslim followers of Islam, having dreams about Jesus Christ and placing their faith in Him. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you this is what's going on. But I want to pray for all people to recognize their need for Jesus, even you. And so I'm going to close in prayer. Father, Lord, thank you that you got a plan. But you always got to have a plan. You have a plan for our individual lives. You have a plan for all eternity, for all mankind, that you have been working this plan. And that when we look at it, when we see it, when we finally understand it, Lord, we'll come to place our lives and say, you're God and I'm not. You're the, you're the one, I'm not. I'm following you. You're not following me. And so, Lord, I pray for us to surrender our lives to you. Lord, we pray for the nation of Israel, for the Jews to turn to you. Lord, we pray for Muslims to call out to you. Lord, we pray for people in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our, in our cities, in, in our counties, in our, even in our churches or, or at our workplaces or on the ball fields that they would recognize their need for you and that we would share our faith with them. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you made a decision today, I hope you'll write it on your Connect card and you can drop your Connect cards in the back if you had a prayer request or everything out. Hey, don't forget, 10-minute party right after this. I'd love to meet you out in the atrium. Have a great day.